Hey mate, how you going, bud? Hey, good, good. So you're when you say sleepless in Seattle, does that mean you're actually in Seattle? No, it was just a reference to the movie. To the movie. Just... Oh, so uh, so can I be Meg Ryan? Yeah, <laughs> you can be uh, <laughs> Tom Hanks. It's so I'm in Copenhagen right now in mm-hmm. Denmark. It's two thirty five AM. I I was lying in bed going, Oh, it's one of I'm can't get back you know, I've sort of woken up with that feeling of I'm probably not gonna get back to sleep for a little while. Right. Um and then I was lying there thinking, I wonder I feel like it's around two AM and then I you know, got up and fetch the phone a bloke called mr tyson yunker porter was there saying hey do you want to have a chat and i was like oh this, hey, this is working well that's nice uh well i um yeah I, i'm i'm sort of the same but it's the middle of the day i'm finding myself in one of those rare situations where i haven't got like uh you know kids that i'm looking after screaming in the background mm. never know who might I jump think- in it could be rune rasmussen could come in or um yep. Arlo Arlo Davis from Alaska or um or Jason Fox from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, these guys could jump in at any time. I, you, know? I, you just never know how these things are gonna work out. So how did you like how did you like your, your bit in my new book? You were like a half oh, a chapter on so, the Kendo. <laughs> kendo and tech yeah. bros and all this stuff. Yeah. Tech bros and violence, wasn't it? Wasn't that mm-hmm. the top the episode? Yeah. That was. Um, so I think I briefly told you the story. My wife was back in Australia for some work-related things and I uh, asked her to see if she could pick up a copy. She she did and brought it back. And nice. our friend Runa has been, you know, trying to source a copy. So I immediately passed it on to him. Um, and But I did take the time to have a flick through because my – my ego brain was like, did I make the cut? Did I get in there? And then I was looking through and I went, oh, I made the cut. I'm in there. And so, yeah, look, I was uh, like a kid in a candy shop, let's say. Well, uh, man, but it, it wasn't about quality. It was about what was going to fit in with the, the, the all the metaphors and stuff. Right. With what was going to fit with Dante and, and all the other stuff going on in the chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, there's some, peop- some people might be going like, what did they put that lady in there for? And then, but not this one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, yeah. I wasn't after quality. I was after, um, 
like a literary <laughs> alignment. <laughs> Fantastic. No, well, look, look, it was, um, yeah, it's it was cool. Yeah, no, it just it just fit in there real nice, real nice. Uh, it just sort of it led into that that really problematic, really complex sort of area that um, Kelly Menzel and I are exploring in the world of yeah, uh, yeah, that that whole gendered violence and just trying to figure out how like you know if we're promoting as we did in Sand Talk, you know, we were talking up how women all. For all of human history, women have been like really active participants in um, public violence. Yes, and yep. have had like you know real proficiency in martial arts and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yep. and just looking at all these traditions that way, and even yep. the way it works now in most uh, remote and rural indigenous communities, and and a lot of like uh, you know even suburban communities and urban communities in Australia. Um, yeah, that there's that women are really big participants in violence, but um, in the colony, like settler settler women, don't tend to be. Now, the problem of, yep. with that was I don't know. There's a there was a um, there was just that sort of hint that there's that hidden therefore that you get in most things. So what's the hidden therefore? The the therefore yep. is like therefore if you know, um. You know, if if white ladies get beaten up, it's their own fault, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Right. It was that was yep. there, and I don't know. Um, yeah, your bit just just worked as a way in there because we were always yeah, worried about that. Yeah. Okay. No, that's um interesting because um yeah because I as I said I only scanned it for it was it was the ego scan. Did I make the cut? So I didn't. You know, I, I did, and then. And also, like Runa was waiting at me, waiting for me at the cafe, and I needed to, you know, get there and hand deliver it to him. So, so you nice. know, like I, I look oh, you, forward you, to, that you was know. the best when I saw the photo of you and Rune, like <laughs> there together. Like, uh, yeah, that was that was so deadly. Yeah, no, that that's hey. been um, he's yeah, it's it's like you know, I've moved to this new place, and um, yeah, and and you know, speaking of. Just so a couple of things quickly, like the the fact that you also mentioned my um, dear friend and you know fellow coach Kate Sylvester or uh -uh. Doctor Kate Sylvester is is um you know she's she's we sort of the way it all worked she moved up this way similar time to me and she's um, living in uh, Stockholm with her wife and her her two daughters now I haven't met the second daughter uh, and we you know it's a bit like the Melbourne Sydney thing like you feel like you're close but it's still you know six to eight hundred clicks away so it's not it. like you're up there every other weekend but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know like the, I, I haven't had a chance to have a chat to her yet and mention it to her and um but we're due to have a chat in the next few days so look yeah. for the that is interesting that it, that it's an entry point into talking about um women and violence that's yeah yeah, well, that's, she was mentioned. Yeah, we mentioned her with reference to the um, you were running a, a PD for like you know in 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 sort of tech companies, and that you were running a PD that that involved kendo, and so that I don't know it, it just allowed yeah. space uh, like yeah. for women to enter that the the martial arts bro talk that's yeah. like behind every line of code <laughs> because they're yeah. all doing BJJ <laughs> and like you know. If Interesting. you're a tiny little girl, you're gonna get squashed in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. 
but not with Ken and isn't Hodes it, is it necessarily it, Tyson? You, sorry, just to jump in. Um, it, it's interesting how that that narrative, you know, like one narrative has been lost because I remember when I started, um, you know, martial arts with karate, and I didn't actually do judo as a kid. But the, often the the sort of the advertising posters for those martial arts was, you know, the small small girl throwing the big man. Yeah, and that that has kind of been squeezed out of the you know this more recent bjj obsession it's and you know the whole pride fighting and um what's the other one called ufc etc etc there's although actually then you've got ronda rousey etc so yeah yeah, i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's i mean it's a really complex area and i don't know do, do you remember I used to do a bit every now and then, uh, like just warning everybody about, you know, you're going to have to stop like uh, teasing and excluding um, white ladies and you're going to have to stop calling them Becky and Karen and all these things. because mm, 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 They, you know, mm. I don't know. You could tell that it, it was only people who didn't really know any, any, um, you know, what you call white women. Yeah or settler women like people who didn't have any close relationships with this or hadn't known white ladies over a long period of time who would just go into town like just just jumping on them and just giving them no hope and smashing them and saying like no you're racist to your core and there's no change in it you know you're privileged and you you know and i mean a lot of them going through just you know bad stuff at home anyway and then they get all the whole world piling on and there's that i don't know they have a sense of entitlement um yes and 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 it's very very strong and when it kicks in it can get proper vicious and i know this <laughs> anybody mm-hmm. who's like mm-hmm. you know had a, a white partner or like white friends over time when i say white i mean more along the lines of settler colonial kind of thing i don't know if yeah 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 you know yeah. straight off the apple tree in europe kind of white ladies are the same um probably not i don't know if you're there in copenhagen i think maybe they're different but anyway everybody piling on i just um and i used to do a bit where i'd say you're gonna have to like back off because you know they will break and they'll snap and and any second now they'll just be out in the street like <laughs> with a with a yeah. with a pistol just like you know a beretta or something <laughs> they'll become active shooters everywhere just like call me karen again motherfucker (laughs) anyway i used to do this whole thing like imagining them just losing it and um i don't know yeah it's become it it's actually came true you know it's it's become a thing like it's a, a lot of these women are the ones who are behind and really really involved in these big networks of very very violent very supporting of street violence um mm. you know you you're um you know mums for liberty and stuff who are you know really mm. back in the stochastic terrorism and you know all your maga mums and women for trump and all this stuff who just come and ride out now and all, all right well, if I if there's no chance ever for me, and I'm just racist to my core, and there's nothing I can do about it, and I got to be yeah. ashamed forever, then I'm gonna lean into it, and they, yeah. <laughs> they lean it in real hard, as if their life yeah, depends right. on it, and it kind of yeah. does. 
the poor little sausages. Anyway, so this mm. is how this is how we come together in this chapter. You and me and Kelly Mendeley have come. Yeah, uh, a very complicated, you know, um, set of things. And mm. Kelly and I are doing mm. a, a research project where we where we view a, a hundred uh, YouTube street fight videos, mm. settler on settler mm. violence, and <laughs> trying mm. to figure it out. Mm. But you know what? Your kendo stuff also it, it, what it what it did was um I I talked to like about Conan the Barbarian. Me and Ila always talking about it, and we we're talking about the. the <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it, but it, it, uh, the I hundred percent saw it. Ah, uh, so you remember the Riddle of Steel? Yes. Yes. <laughs> ah, the Riddle of Steel, boy. You know it, don't you? <laughs> what is steel compared to the hand that wields it? You know, James Earl Jones getting yep. in there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that voice. <laughs> like the, yeah, the voice yeah. of Darth, the voice of Darth Vader popping yeah. up in a different context. Ah, Incredible. <laughs> he just is out there just abusing like young men and turning them into Ubermenches left, right, and center. <laughs> he's cutting off their hands. He's crucifying them. He's doing everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, he's the one who kind of tempers Arnie. There's that yeah. that riddle of steel is this idea of so what's stronger, like the steel or the mm. flesh? Like is that the riddle mm. of steel? You know, mm. um, you know, is it the steel itself that confers power, or is it what resides in the person? You know, and is the tempering of a man through trauma um, does mm. that like? Does that render him brittle, or does that render him, you know, stronger than steel? Mm, and I think mm, that, mm. you know, I think you know where the movie's going with it when they when they misquote Nietzsche right at the start. <laughs> 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 yeah, and it's it's funny. Yeah, I was talking about um, Conan the Barbarian with someone just the other day because there's this there's this particular scene that I I or moment in a scene that I really often think back to. And um, it's when, you know, Arnie's, he's, he's been held captive. He's the slave of the, the guy who's, I, f I feel like in my memory, he's like a Mongolian looking guy and they're living somewhere out in plains in, you know, they're in oh, a tent. Yeah. Bounding yeah. across the, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's and then super the, tight. Um, super tight. Su super tight. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. So then he, um, um, he's got a friend visiting, right? And they're sitting around having dinner um, around the the fire in inside the tent, or you know, they're eating together. And um, yeah. Arnie's sitting there in Caesar, you know, in kneeling position, Japanese formal kneeling mm -hmm. position, with his hands on his thighs, in his in his weird sort of bondage warrior kit, <laughs> and you know, just with <laughs> a completely impassive face, just you know, sitting there as an object, basically. And then um, Subutai says to to his friend, he says. Um, what is what is the greatest? Tell me, friend. What is the greatest thing in life? And his friend says something like, "To, you know, ride uh, bareback across the plains and and see the hawk in the sky and feel the wind in your hair, and mm. you know something like this." Very evocative. Me. Yeah, sounds good to and me. And he's like, "And destroy your like, enemy, drive yeah. it before you, and hear the lamentation <laughs> of the women." Exactly. So you do it, you do it, says, he says, "No." Conan, he says, no, or something like incorrect. Conan, tell him. And he just like, That's then he's right. like switched on like an automaton yeah, yeah. and he mm. goes, 
to crush your enemies, to see them driven before the you. And sorry, I'll say I'll try again. If we try to impress Nailani, this is a big ass to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. Which is, of course, Genghis Khan. Yeah. That's his words, eh? Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, and the, it's a scene that pops up in my mind because, you know, I think as for me and my personal journey of, of violence and trauma and, you know, working that, working that out mm. in, in a, you know, a context of a, a personal journey and also, you know, an inter, intergenerational journey with my, my, particularly my father and my grandmother, you mm. know, uh, World War II, Hungary mm. is, you know, getting out, coming to Australia, et cetera. Mm. You know, it's been, that, that scene often comes back to me because there's definitely that, that moment in my life where the idea of of you know cutting someone down with a with a japanese sword a katana imagine if one day i was called upon to have to defend something and get to you know like have the excuse of defending something to get to cut someone down Mm. um was this you know boy boyhood fantasy and then um, and then, you know, you know, so then you are the, you are Conan in that moment. That is the yeah. greatest thing to, to crush people. But then as you sort of work through it and like the work hardening doesn't make the steel necessarily harder and brittle, harder mm. and more brittle, but, but, you know, you sort of find your own softness that you realize that the best thing is to ride bareback across the, 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 you know, the step and to feel the wind in your hair and to see the yeah. hawk in the sky and that is the best thing in life mm. I, I read the um autobiography of of g gordon liddy you know the the watergate thug okay yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right, right. Nick, nixon's um sort of weird friend <laughs> yeah yeah you know, he did time and didn't <laughs> didn't spill the, the beans on him um okay yeah and and what struck me was his just lifelong like commitment to being prepared every yeah. day to do violence to do maximum yeah. maximum force violence you know yeah and you yeah. big gun collections all the time and yeah you know and you know but his whole life in in all of these you know dangerous situations you know uh covert ops and 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 then t- like 10 years in prison not once did he ever get to have a fight. <laughs> Not once did he ever get. So, you know, he, he make these situations, you know, we I know that there's young black men walking around the street at night. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out yeah. and patrol. And like, yeah, you pull guns on them and they just be like, man, uh, we're just going. <laughs> and he never quite got to shoot anybody or, uh, you know, yeah. have a proper yeah, fight. Yeah. But he spent his whole life ready for it. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. I can I can relate to that for like you know preparing oneself to for violence and then almost longing you know it, as a way to keep yourself safe from it, but then in the end yeah. almost longing for it. You yeah. know, like oh my god, I just you know I wish there was just a purely evil person that I could tear yeah. apart right now. But yeah. but then it's like yeah. you know you remember that well that's a human being you know he had a yeah. mum. Yeah, the yeah. mum there, yeah. and, and yeah. how evil would he have to be to justify you like messing his face up? Yeah, and she, uh, and she, you know, she had a mum, and and um, 
Yeah, like I mean, mm. the, what, because one of the things that, and and I think like I've been doing kendo now. I, I started in 1989, just sort of late year seven, coming into year eight. Um, so I don't know. That's like yeah. 33 years ish or something. And I, one of the things I think, um, you know, I'm, uh, my master kendo sensei, uh, Doctor Kunio or Professor Kunio Shizawa. Mm. who's based in the um he's just near i don't know for people who've ever flown into narita that's um that's a very rich part of the country in the sense that it was a huge you know very well um watered and flat land so they made you know they were they were very wealthy because when wealth was measured in in bales of rice um mm. that that had cool. a huge you know exactly koku it had a huge production capacity in that region. So it's also where, um, you know, two of the most famous and, you know, really important uh, shrines, Shinto shrines are, and they're both to um, martial gods. Mm. Um, and the, the martial gods are deified there and, you know, different sword school, um, you know, originators basically went there to to go deep and they were then struck by the, the inspiration of the, you know, the Tengu or the, the Kami, the God comes down and gives you the inspiration mm. for a technique. Yeah, and then around yeah. that, around that technique, you then build, you basically build a, uh, a philosophy and also a set of principles for the mm. use of the sword or the, the staff or whatever it may yeah. be. And so, every object, every crafted object, every painting, yeah. every, you know, possesses yeah. that Kami, that, that spirit, it, you know, yeah. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. And I, the like the thing, just sort of thinking about him, he's now, you know, approaching his, like he's, he's coming up to 84, so he's a year mm. of the dragon. He's a dragon, so he'll it'll be his um, medicine year next year. Mm. Um, and also mine, actually. So we have this interesting synchronicity, he and I. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm just he, a rat. Like, well, no, that, that's funny. I people say that, you know. I say to people, I saw a kid yesterday at the mm. hotel lobby I was in, and um, he was asking his mother how to say the word um, "pig" in German, and she was teaching him. And I just sort of reached out and I said, "Oh, you know, do you know the word in Japanese?" And to told him the word in Japanese, and then asked his age. And of course, it turns out he's a year of the pig. And right. all of the animals, all of the animals are important. The rat is the first. The rat was the one that rode the back. You know, so one of my close colleagues now, he's a rabbit. He goes, oh, the rabbit. But, you know, if you think about Watership Down, remember the mm. rabbit in Watership Down? Never was there a greater, more heroic creature as as was the the rabbit's you know, the tale of the rabbits in Watership Down. Like I remember watching that as, as a kid and just going, how majestic is the, is the, the creature of the rabbit? Like mm. all, all animals have majesty is, you know, I learned that from you, Tyson. So I don't know why I need to tell you, <laughs> I don't know why I need to tell you that, mate. <laughs> uh, maybe I should have taught my kids that instead of just like catching rabbits and dong them on the head and, yeah, well, skin them out, no, cook them up. Yeah. That's what you do with rabbits, my children. Um, yeah. yeah. Ah, well, it, see, here's the thing with the riddle of steel. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like you answered it in the um, the relatedness mm. part with the kendo. 
mm. you know, like you have to come into relation mm. with each other through the sword, through the steel, yeah. before you can make a blow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. First, you have to come into relation. You have to have that. It's almost collaborative what you do first before you then, yep. you know, do all your strikes. Yeah. And I think that's and, and um, I, something yeah. of the dance there. You, you And that's, you, you know, I learned, I really got a lot. And I've shared that um, part in Sand Talk, uh, the way you talked about the stone knife, knife fighting. And that, you know, a lot of things clicked for me and some yeah. of my kendo colleagues with that particular mm. set of words on paper. Um, mm. You know, and not not set in stone, like as you've made reference to, but they were a very yeah. insightful set of words on paper uh, for me. But at the, the it's time. the yarns, it's the yarns that aren't it's in the, the book, though. Yeah, you know yep. what I mean. Yeah. So in yep. so in that chapter, and not referenced once, there's that day that we had, brother. Oh. You know, with with Jim yeah. Fukai, yeah. Jim. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. is offsider. You know, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Little fella. Jez, yeah, and that that day we spent together, like um, you know, putting on those helmets and then smashing our heads with the swords, and just you know, getting <laughs> that, um, you know, trying to look at how how uh, you know, looking at what Kendo and um Eskrima had to say to each other. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. And what what and a day! That that was a that was a mate. That was a day. That was really a a big day and i i recently shared with you that it was you know in the oh. very immediate af aftermath of the passing of my father and, and you um, didn't mention it well i didn't i didn't mention it you know because i'd already you know because i i work in communications i'm an yeah. ad man I'm a, I'm a comms man i'm a marketing guy so i'm always you know just when something happens i script messages and then i start spouting them to people you know right. as a you know, it's like the, the talking points, right? So I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, my yeah. mother passed away and now this and now this and now this. And I, I'd already done that with all the people that I needed to do that with. And yeah, when true. I was meeting, meeting you blokes, I didn't, I, at the, you know, it wasn't, if, I, if I'd had something to share in that moment, I would have, but I, I didn't have. And in fact, the, that day, like, you know, if my dad had still been alive that day, he would have probably probably been there with us and he would have loved every single second of that day, yeah. including, you know, wrestling with you on the mat like I did with you and you like completely owned me. I was like, this bugger's got bloody, he's got a strong center of gravity. I'm trying, I'm struggling to move him here. Like my dad would have, he would have just, about that. like it would have been a, a, a you know, a, a, a warm bath of just, you know so he loved it nothing in a sense nothing needed to be said and it's good to now talk about it you know 18 uh, months on and etc and sort of fill in some of the gaps but that was a very very special day on so many levels for me um you know and i really really must you know like um uh just say thank you because you oh, know same. you 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 made yourself available. You turned up, it was, and Jim and you. I, I wouldn't have missed it, man. <laughs> like, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, it really was. It, Jim's incredible, and I haven't been able to do anything with him since because I've just had, um, you know, huge health problems where I, I just can't. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I just can't do that anymore. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But anyway, I learned enough from him with um, scaling down my movements. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just doing totally doing the absolute minimum in physical yep. conflict to um you know to to get by in there. And yeah, and that's that's yep. really actually really good for a person who becomes um less able bodied all the time. And so this is another thing I like is the accessibility. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, that yeah. idea of accessibility when, when you look at Jim's stuff. So um, accessible. Yeah. yeah. He, like he, he's he, like, he, 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 he could like, teach someone easy to fight from a wheelchair or from, yes. you know, yes. Yeah. Teach and, you and fight he, from the ground, know, like, from the, yeah. He's, a, he's Australia as, you know, he's not just Australia. It's like he's obviously from up north England um, yeah. way. But he is, you could describe him as a, a modern day Jigoro Kano, the founder of, of judo, because, you know, Jigoro <laughs> Kano's fa- famous saying was, you know, uh, you know, like basically, I, f- I forget the exact <laughs> form of the words, but, you know, the, the, the greatest sort of output with a, the minimumist input, like, yeah. you, know, you, and, you know, that, that wasn't his concept. It was just that he was the vehicle for that concept to be to be taken globally basically and you know Jim's yeah, definitely yeah. of that ilk and I you know it's funny like where I've you know because I've left my apartment because my wife is asleep and I don't want to be having a big conversation in a in a, a home that should be quiet so that people can rest so I've come out to my like the little park nearby me where it's got a platform built around a big tree it's kind of like a an uh, outdoor do- dojo and there's this nice. big, big old tree in the middle of it. And so I've been doing, for me, the pushy hands exercise that I learned that day with, with you blokes. I, I don't, I, you know, I've tried it a few times with my wife and she kind of gets it. And I actually want her to, you know, <laughs> she would be a good training partner, but she's also just not into it. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have time for this. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Cool. So, so I come down to the, the, this big, this big old fella tree here and I, I just sort of like, you know, try and remember what Jim's teachings and, you know, the feeling of doing it with, with you and Jez as well and just kind of lean up against the tree and just try and establish groundedness through my, yeah. you know, through my legs and body, et cetera, without having force, without yeah. having excessive force. And it's, yeah. it's so beautiful and gentle and it also gives me an opportunity just to like lock into, you know, a tree every day in a, in a quite a, intimate and meaningful way mm. he's got a you didn't see his home studio you've seen the the one the public business one but he's got a no, studio I, at no, home too what do you saw I that did, one so that 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 day was like it had all of the things so i went oh. there first and had a private oh, that's right oh it's then, deadly yeah uh, that's right i remember you'd already yeah. been through a session <laughs> The, but the, but you know like the to use the rug metaphor like the the only um like flaw in the otherwise perfect rug was that you'd you'd forgotten to put the big overhead two-handed boomerang in the car and bring it oh, along to show me so yeah that that's was so just, annoying that's that's a nice no but that's a beautiful hook in my brain because one mm. day you know I, I i'm gonna catch up with you next time i'm down or whatever and i really want to see that because that i'd never thought about that i was like no oh, problem. Yes, and that, that is literally oh, Katana. Every yeah, I I think part of me must have said no no don't put that in the car. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was a yeah. you know um, because with the right story wrong story thing, um, I had to really really you know I had to carve objects with wrong story I had to carve them wrong way. Yeah, right. Uh, in order you know 
to hold the wrong story and to sit with that yeah. uh, in order to write the book. And it made me sick. You know, it's part of the reason I'm I'm just completely, <laughs> well, I can't even do martial arts with Jim anymore because I'm yeah. Yeah. devastated from it. This book nearly killed me, bros. Two years of it. Yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, that day, if I'd taken that boomerang, it was a real sick one. And I mean, it was big. It's as long as me, yeah. you know, yeah. very big war boomerang. And it was, um, it had none of the affordances in it, in it of limitation. Right. You know, like, uh, right. so usually if we've got something that could cut a man in half, you put a yeah. tiny handle on it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. The idea is you shouldn't be able to scale it yeah. up. You shouldn't be able to it, weaponize so, it on on a on a massive scale. That'll yeah. end up with everybody in a thousand within a thousand years. The whole your whole culture will be finished. Yeah. You know from that yeah. thing. So um, anyway, I just made mm, it completely mm. as a murderous machine, and um, and I had all of the wrong story from the whole book in there. Um, I gave it to a like I gave it to a friend of mine to hold, like a black fellow who's like a knowledge keeper, and he 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 took it out of my hands, and he it was like he was punched in the guts just from holding it, and he just went take this away from me, like this is the most evil thing I've ever touched in my life. So imagine if I brought it along and we were doing that, okay. You know how we were doing, yeah. you had the yeah. helmet on, so we're bashing <laughs> it with the kendo yeah. stick. Imagine yeah. if we'd done it with that and what kind of sick stuff yeah. that would be knocking into you. I'm really glad it didn't happen. But anyway, I That's, remade yeah, it. Good. I remade it with the uh, right story and did a, a new one, different one. And that's interesting. Um, yeah, right. It's this right, big. Right, right. And it still has oh, that wow. mad, it's still got a handle on it that, that allows yes. for big swings, but there's a floor built into it. So yes. that it probably wouldn't survive more than half a dozen blows before the handle would shatter. That's bloody yeah. interesting, mate. So I, I built that in here about through it. that weakness there. You know, I've done that so yeah, that it, right. it will shatter within five blows. If I'm like really, really going for it, I might kill a couple of people, but then it's finished. Which yeah. is actually, you know, to be fair, that's the same as a katana. In True many that. respects, I'd never ever thought about it like that because you know the the story with the katana is always you know this it's always a technological story and of course yeah. that fitted the narrative of the Japanese you know why have they been allowed to come back post you know ultra violence of World War Two well it's yeah. because they're technological geniuses and we we forgive them that because we want their gadgets right so the you know that I'm just making this up on the spot by the way I've had you know just yep. this coming out of my head but. The thing that you always say is that, you know, use this combination of soft iron with um, very high carbon um, steel and then you you work and work and work it so that the, you know, highly carbonized steel goes to the blade and the softer iron goes to the back of the blade. So then it's the, the perfect cutting machine, which yeah. is, which is you know, it's got the hard cutting edge, but the soft yeah. flexibility of the blade, blah, 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 which, okay, that's fair enough. That's That's an interesting part of the story. But the fact is that, you know, you if you get out with a katana and sort of don't cut truly, that thing's gonna that thing's gonna break. And if you to, in order to Too cut bad. truly, you need to be pretty aligned internally, because that you know, like literally, as soon as you a, a bit of you know fear and rage and all of those those things start to creep in, the yeah. shoulders tighten up, the hands stiffen, and the line of the cut changes and you very it's very easy then to just snap it in half yeah. so 
that, I'd never thought about it like that, but that's it, you could p- potentially say that just the way you talked about that boomerang, that the katana's evolution, there was also a flaw built into it so that it was a weapon, but it was a weapon that, you, you know, you kind of had to train all your life to think about using and would therefore maybe get to a point where you'd realize you don't want to use it and you want to go down the Katsujin Ken path yeah. and use it to polish yourself rather than use it to, you know, e- either exact ultraviolence or fantasize for Boom. a whole lifetime about Boom. ultraviolence. This is what I'm talking about. But I had you, you answered the riddle of steel. Mm. That's the that's the answer right there. The riddle mm. of steel. You mm. think about mm. it, riddles, thought experiments, all these things, you know. Um mm. but tradition all around the world, these riddles and, and things like that. They these are about um you know, these are ways of grappling over deep time with the big questions, you know, uh, with complexity yeah, right. and, and then passing on right. the answer. And each, you know, as you pass it down across generations, there's there's better and better, better answers develop. You know, Tyson, so I'm Conan, gonna do, I'm I'm going to do a, a Nordic thing, and I'm going to oh, I'm going to take a big I'm going to take a big breath in. I'm going to go and hold that that moment that just happened. So I've had to I've had to like talk about it because um, I've had to explain what I'm doing because. I can't, I still can't do it. I can't get the timing right, but it's Some amazing. Wim Hof here. shit. Well, no, it's not, it's not a Wim Hof. It's not. I'm only joking. It's actually not Wim Hof. It's, um, so when it's basically when, so people I've know I've observed it in people with Denmark and Finns do it even more. Uh. Um, like Finns do it a lot, but basically when there's a pregnant pause in a conversation, they, they do a breath, a mouth breath through, they go and they hold it. So they, so basically it's like when you've, you know, dropped something in a conversation that is a, that is a statement, that is a significant thing. Yeah. The, conver- the conversation doesn't just run on. It actually pauses. Like <sighs> people who are listening will, the listeners will go and then everybody will sit there for like, you know, one, two, three, four, sometimes even longer. Mm. And then, then the conversation will flow again, but it's so bloody interesting and they don't even know they're doing it most of the time. Such yeah. that when I say to them, do you guys know, notice you're doing that? They're kind of like, what are you talking about? And then I spoke to this, um, a new mate of mine here. She's half, she's, uh, grew up in Australia, but she's a, a dad's Finnish. And she's like, oh yeah, like I do it like I do it a lot. Finns do it a lot. And she's aware of it too, because she grew up outside of here and then came here. And now we just do it. Like when we catch up together, we, we almost can't have a conversation because we're both doing. Is <laughs> 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 uh, that my, my, my mate, Carol Sand, Sandford, she talks about this uh, as a thing, you know, this idea that, mm. you know, the, these questions that we work on, in, mm. in our lives and then we pass on where we got up to you know mm. with it in our mm. inquiry and that just mm. becomes part of the canon of your you know family group culture whatever you know mm. and then mm. the next next people start you know I might might pick it up other people might pick it up start working on it and over deep time it becomes um it becomes wisdom you know um I think this is yeah. it like see see Conan's dad started it he said like uh the riddle of steel is like he told the story of the giants fighting the gods yeah 
Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, there was this, this devastation, this, this massive battle. And then afterwards, um, men, like humans came along and, and walked around the battlefield, mm. you know, the devastated battlefield afterwards. And then mm. they found the secret of steel there. So men were able to forge metal after that. Mm. You know, which then suddenly is this massive murderous technology that just scales up everything, scales up all the, the worst things about civilization. Mm. Um, but he sees it as his power. And he said, um, for him, he, he said that the his take on, on the riddle of steel was that um, you can't trust anybody in this world, mm. uh, not man or nor beast, you can't trust. Yeah, right. The man nor beast. So he's saying you, you can yeah, separate yourself from nature, separate yourself from society and family. Yeah. None of these things you can trust. But this, this sword, this you can trust. Mm. You know, mm. so trust and mm. love your weapons, but mm. everything else mm. keep them at a distance, you know. So that's what mm. he's taught. And that's before he's like trafficked into slavery after yes, he watches yes. his mum's head yeah. get cut off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah, 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 which we find out later. Yeah. That's James Earl Jones done that, like when he, and that's when he's younger and he's trying to find the answer to the riddle of steel <laughs> and by collecting yeah. blades and like murdering people. Yeah. And, to, and, you know, and then Conan like grows up and, like, and what's, what's his thing? You know, yeah. James Earl Jones says to him, like, you know, steel isn't strong, flesh is stronger, you know, but that's not quite yeah. true either. And there's that yeah. what doesn't kill you make you stronger thing. So I yeah. don't know. There's this idea that trauma tempers a person. Yeah. And I mean, this kind of gets when he finally yeah. kills Tulsa Doom, James Earl Jones, he cuts his head off, but it takes a few hacks because the steel isn't yeah. getting through it. And so it ends up, it's just by brute strength that he kind of ends up knocking this head off <laughs> yeah. with this yeah. blunt sword, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't know. That kind of reinforces it too, and it's all wrong way, all wrong story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that chapter is before your one, you know. And so I mentioned in your one that ah, you know, Alpad might have like answered the actual, like actually answered the riddle of steel here. Mm. <laughs> and the riddle of steel is important, bros, yeah. because that's what's on the cover. On the yeah. cover is that's the steel that, boomerang. Yeah, of course, it's a steel banger boomerang. Yeah, of that course, makes boomerang. me um, yeah. That that's the whole thing. Okay. The whole book is okay. me puzzling over this steel boomerang and what it means. I see, I see, I see, I see. I, I can't I see. I can't access it. I can't come I can't find that kami <sighs> of that of that object. You know, I can't find it. So I don't know if yeah. it's good or bad or indifferent. And then anyway, in those other yarns that don't come into the book, you know, I'm talk with the fellow who made it Pete McCurley and he's talking about how it was made in a thunderstorm yeah right right massive devastating right. thunder thunderstorm like a one of those natural disaster level ones you know yeah yeah and for some reason he just he was beside himself right in the middle of that storm and he couldn't mm. stay he couldn't sleep much like you right now but he couldn't even stay inside the house he couldn't read. He couldn't do anything. He was driven to act. And so in the middle of this horrendous lightning electrical storm, he, he cranks up his forge oh. and he takes a bit of um, steel from a, a, to 
pioneer um, uh, timber yards. Oh. You know that old school, old school pioneers. You know, yeah, a bit yeah. of steel from the timber mill that, yeah. that cut down all the old growth trees in the area. You know, yeah, yeah. And so he's there in this thunderstorm, just madly banging out this steel boomerang. Yeah, right. And then the pattern that came through, it's just kind of, it feels like it's coded on the trees that that steel murdered in its life, you know? Mm. Like the blood and sap of the trees has come through it somehow and, mm. and that message is knocked into it. And so we mm. talk about that idea of these metals, you know, holding and carrying information, um, how they retain damage that's that's done and you can never get rid of that damage like with a sword you know when you forge it you got to do it clean because yeah. if yeah. there's one mistake you can't just you can't just heat it up and beat that mistake out that's there forever it might look yeah. fine but that sword's going to break the first time you use it you know same way and also you know? also that that um you know remind me there's there's a thing um in samurai culture or Bujutsu culture or Budo culture, what you know, like that that realm of um, that body of knowledge, I suppose you'd call it. That you know, a, a a saying, or I'm not sure if it's a it's it's probably not a teaching or a principle. It's more like a like a a, a heuristic, perhaps, or a rule mm. of thumb. I'm not sure. But the the point is that if the idea is that if you draw the blade it has to taste blood otherwise it will be unsatisfied and will That's not right. quietly, quietly go back into the scabbard yeah so when you you, you know and that and that so you don't like, draw it you just don't yeah like and practice and therefore, with your bamboo you know, or if you draw exactly, this bastard you, you better you know, mean it yeah because yeah. you know people say oh so you know do you ever you know use the bamboo swords but do you ever use real swords well of course you know there, there's the Yador, which is very you know, the, the sword drawing yeah. um, part where you kneel and you rise up and you mm. draw the sword and you, you do some cuts and then you replace the sword. But, of course, that's practiced alone. And it's it's yeah. it's basically a form of meditation. And often the yaito, the, the the sword that's used for practicing yaito, is is a blunt it's a dulled edge so it's a it's a toy sword effectively right and it's only in very you know quite serious moments where you would you would use a live blade because of course you know the movements are also you can cut your own hand as you like draw or replace the sword you can also chop into the back of your head when you do the blood swiping Right. Yeah. You know, if you go, if you're sitting at home alone, you go, Oh, I think I'll just, you know, pull out the real sword and do some yay, yay door. Yeah. That's not a flippant, that's not a flippant thing, you know, like, yeah. So that's very serious act to draw the sword. But even, you know, metaphorically, when we draw the bamboo sword too, like we did when we trained together, you know, that's why you start it with a bow and end it with a bow because it's a, we're yeah. about to do something serious. Like it might only be a, a metaphor of the seriousness of it, but it's still yeah. we're practicing ritual. That is, we're doing ritual uh, seriousness. Uh, yeah. Ah, uh, and as we were saying before, like there's that part of you that longs for that, you know, that the toxic male thing. And I guess this brings us back to that whole culture that we were critiquing when we first mm. had this yarn. You know, there's that part of you that longs for, 
you know, the that perfect situation where you can, you know, without any consequences to yourself. Yeah, right? yeah. That's, you that's know, exactly right. let loose. You know, yeah. that thing where somebody would transgress so badly that yeah. um, that that justifies. And, you know, that's... Um, that's just as much the source of my rage as trauma is. Yeah. You know, that idea that there is a point, that there is a point where someone mm. can go so far that if if they cross that line, then you're allowed to let it go. You're allowed to let mm. that rage go, you know. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, I, uh, when I was having a problem with rage in my youth, I talked to a counsellor briefly and he said something stuck with me like forever. And it was, um, you know, cause I, I'd had a rage incident and I'm like, yeah, how do I <laughs> control this rage? And he's like, you know, <laughs> and he just said at what point, all you have to do is think back through and think about that. What was the moment when you gave yourself permission yeah, uh, right. to release your rage? Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, yeah. Right. Thank you. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Here's a hundred yeah. bucks. Yeah. I can go now. Yeah. That's I'm taking that away. That's a yeah. take a sip of the air and yeah. wait. Tyson, that's it. um yeah, that's uh thanks for sharing that because um I so I was uh over the weekend I I had a little bit of solitude time and went to a, a local lake here that it's kind of like the Lake Mackenzie of um yeah. of Denmark. It's like a it's a deep purely clean lake with a sandy bottom that you know as you swim basically drink the water it's just a very special place i went there for a a winter bath you know jumped into the the cold water and as i walked back i i i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna just i haven't hitchhiked in years i'm gonna have a crack and so i dropped the thumb out um third car that came along picked me up and it happened to be a danish lady and her husband um, and she had emigrated to Australia in, in the 80s when wow. Denmark was going through a period of economic tightening. So the, yeah. they, called it, they called it the Kartoffelkuchen, which is the potato cure, which was <sighs> basically the, the opposite to Marie Antoinette's thing or ascribed to Marie Antoinette. Uh-huh. It was apparently not her. They let them eat cake or actually they let them eat brioche. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thing, it's the opposite to that, right? It was like actually for the Danes to to get back on track, we need to cure ourselves by eating potatoes. Anyway, there's more history to it than uh, what uh, I've just said in a few words there. But she, anyway, we had a chat and she was talking about her experiences living in Australia in the 80s, and she said the biggest thing that she was surprised by and that like that really she really struggled with the whole time was Australian male chauvinism. Yeah, and I was like, I was like. You know, you know, and I, I shared with her some of my own stories since coming here to Denmark. And, you know, I grew up in Australia. I spent a lot of time going to Japan, of course, all of the kendo stuff. And it's very, you know, there's a lot of sort of masculine energy rolling around in all of that. And I, to be honest, I didn't really have a perspective on my own male chauvinism <sighs> until I moved here. And, and in many different ways, it was kind of, just shown to me in quite stark in quite a stark way yeah and i was like wow i was just carrying that around and thinking i was this you know like a very a very well-behaved snag and inside me is this rage and i've just been you know like waiting for permission to to you know 
act in ways. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Totally. This is what the settlement teaches us. You know, whether you're a settler or not, you know, you don't have to be white to have it. This is what the settlement teaches us about masculinity because it's it's about uh, being like G. Gordon Liddy, always ready, mm. always mm. ready to do mm. violence, always, mm. you know, honing your body through a lot of really challenging things and pain and sacrifice, mm. honing mm. your body and your mind towards acts of violence, to ready to do acts of violence in service mm. of mm, what? And mm. there's always this implied mm. soft eugenics. And it's in wellness, yes. in yes. all of wellness yes. community, in all of yes. the, you know, f all fitness. Yes. All fitness, even yes. CrossFit, anything like that. But most yeah. of the martial all, arts yeah. too. It's yeah, there totally. about being fit for service. Yeah. And fit for yeah. service of the state yeah. that is expanding. Yes. Because yes. there are others out there who are less than human. Yeah. You know, you yeah. might think that yeah. only, you know, like... What's awesome about The Walking Dead is like, well, these people are already dead. We can just yeah, totally. cut the zombies' just, heads yeah. off, you know? Yeah. And how yeah. deadly is that? You know? Yeah. But it's it's like, um, you know, the whole thing is about dehumanizing others. And I'm finding mm. it, the sicker I get, the more I find it. And it's in like mainstream medicine too. Not, not as much, but it's there informally in this idea of who is a worthy patient and how yeah. does a worthy yeah. patient uh, behave? Yeah. And, yep. you know, what kind of care are they entitled to, you know, mm. if they're like rude to you or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's, yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. whole idea of, you know, it's, it's a real ableist kind of thing, especially with mental illness. And this is what I found yes. more and more this year uh, with seeking treatment for mental illness and all this sort of thing and trying to find ways to fit in the world as I get sicker and sicker in my body and in my mind, mm. uh, in my spirit. Um you know, there's more and more like, well, it's your own responsibility. You know, yep. if you, you, yep. I mean, yep. you know, how, yep. how often have you been doing your exercises this year? Yeah. You know, like, yes, you've been incapacitated, so you haven't been able to do them, but it's your responsibility to do your sit-ups, bro. Yep. Um, you know, um, yep. there's yep. that. So yeah. there's that idea of, you know, if I hone myself and I, I make myself perfect and I make myself well, then, you know, and I'm, that makes me worthy and then there's yeah. a, that always that silent that unspoken part that says hey so there's these others who aren't worthy uh these yeah. others who may actually be quite evil <laughs> and you know if they really push you you know you have to yeah. be ready and prepared and this is what colonies do yeah they leverage yeah. their settlers um not like and it's different in canada it's different in canada because they had the military do their exterminating of indigenous people there. Right. They had right. the military do it at first. So they didn't have their frontier settlers doing it. So they okay. didn't develop quite the same culture of violence there, which is why Kelly and I, the street fight videos we watched from Canada was useless. They didn't really tell us much. Okay, for, right, know, fine, right. These guys don't really take any fighting seriously unless it has to do with um, hockey, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah but different yeah. in the less legitimate a state was and the more violent the the idea uh more violent notions there was in that culture towards indigenous people you know based on the illegitimacy of the state uh the worse mm. the violence was the worse the misogyny was uh worse mm. the expressions of misogyny was and the more mm. violent they were and the more likely they were to pull a gun during the fight 
the yep. more collateral damage there was. And the two the two biggest uh, offenders, you know, um, all around the world, when we looked at a, a heap of different colonies, the two biggest offenders were Australia and Israel mm. coming out of these ones. These were the, you know, settlers with the, like, you know, just the most toxic um, masculine violence. But, you know, everywhere, everywhere women were excluded from the violence. You know, they were allowed to, like, stand yeah. on the sidelines and go, don't touch him, you know, that kind of mm. thing. Mm. They were allowed mm. to, like, invigilate and, you know, try to protect, you know, their men, uh, but they weren't allowed to actually join the fight. Um, yeah, so we found all these things. It's very interesting Bras, and I'm coming to something here. I know I'm talking a lot. Please go. To I'm... Something, I'm trying to come to something around this 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 violence, this idea that we have to be constantly ready to do violence, and every now and then we have to let it rip, you know, uh, mm. so that we know what the real thing feels like. Mm. And, you know, this was my life, you know. Mm. I was a kid when I grew up as a kid. I couldn't, like, I definitely could never, ever, ever count the number of fights that I've had. Because yeah, it, right. it it it, yeah. it is hundreds. Yeah. It's not yeah. dozens. Yeah. It's hundreds. Yeah. You know, because from yeah. when I was a kid, extreme yeah. violence right the way yeah. through. Because I'm growing yeah. up uh, on the frontier, yeah. stuff and moving yeah. all the time around these uh, you know construction camps, right? You know, way out on the yes. frontier and the bush kind of thing and mines yes. and you know, etc. Yes. etc. Et and all the worst kind of people there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, single men's quarters always and and the kind yeah. of things that go on there and the kind of yeah yeah i mean you gotta fight grown-ass men when you're a kid you gotta fight everybody you gotta fight all the kids at school uh etc oh. etc so that's that's me growing up is learning that so it's like conan like i don't know this way this movie had such an impact on me you know and yeah. i watched yeah. conan when i was like uh like 13 or something and i was like right yeah that's me and you yeah know, yeah I model my whole life on that shit. And yep. as soon as I got to escape and get out into the world on my own, um, I didn't choose a life of nonviolence then. I actually leaned into the violence more. Mm. And mm. I chose really violent jobs. I chose to work mm. for, you know, people who were in the mafia. I chose, you know what I mean? I, like I, yep. I kept yep. finding the violent things, you know. Yep. You know, I did security and I did all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. For strange people. And I, I just walked around getting into fights yes. um, all the time, more than I can ever imagine. Uh, this one fellow has contacted me a while back and I don't even remember don't even remember the incident, but I I uh, I headbutted him, mm. and he said, "I think about you every day of my life." When whenever I look wow. in the mirror, and um, every night when I like I can't breathe properly in my sleep, you know, um, oh, that sort man, of feel- plays on my yeah. mind a bit. You know, yeah. it's this yeah. way that um, in these colonies. Everybody, you know, settler and non-settler, anyone who's in, who's male in this, we, we're trained up to like maim each other, you know, and then exclude the maimed, you know, exclude the people who are not able-bodied. Um, it's and, a, it's and... a horrendous, uh, impossible thing, fascism, and yeah, it's there yeah. You yeah. Know, in every colony, yeah. but in this one yeah. in Israel, the worst. Is my theory anyway? 
Anyway, so they, I just, I, I'm just going to work my I'm way through gonna, it, bro. So I finished. I'm going <laughs> to, no, yeah, no, no, hey, and, um, you know, um, if we were in the same room, we'd have to like do a proper Danish hug for like, you know, 10 minutes, I reckon, post yeah, yeah. maybe 10 <laughs> five to 10 minutes. Um, thank you, look, thank you for, I felt that. I really felt that. I know, you know, because I've, I've, um, you know, there's some times at Kendo when I went too far and yeah. and I can remember it and it's a very fine line because you're there to to practice violence and yeah there's but but nonetheless that that it's not like this perfectly safe space where it's like oh it's always going to work out no sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes yep. it gets ugly and I've oh, I've it. been involved in those incidents and I and I as you were talking that feeling of what it feels like to to you know exact violence on another such that they remember you for the rest of their life it's it's yeah. not it's no it's not good it's, it's a heavy it's a heavy heavy thing and yeah, i just yeah. want to quickly to not quickly i i would like to just sing something for a moment because hey. i think it's it's a it's a song story that that a lot of australian men i think have listened to and are very fond of and it was then covered by the you know the Irish band the Pogues and mm. Shane McGowan and he's he's had his own journey um but you know as our ship pulled at and as our ship pulled into circular key I looked at the place where my legs used to be and thank Christ there was nobody waiting, waiting for me to grieve, grieve and to mourn and, and to, pity. to pity and then the other the other line is and you know, it, it says I can't remember the lead up to it, but um, I sang that at school too, bro. The, the crowd, you know, they they just they just stood and stared. There mm. was no, there, and no nobody cheered. They just stood and stared. Then they mm. turned their faces away. Yeah, and that you know, I mean, born of the you know Tom Cruise, born on the Fourth of July, the illegitimacy of the broken. Mm. Uh, it's you know, I mean, this this it's just. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. Like you know, I yeah, like. Uh, hey, but Arlo. <laughs> but Arlo is Arlo. I feel like I feel like our, our pads like um, our pads wrapping up just as you're coming in, but uh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, uh, I just saw that email and I said, I don't want to crash a party, but I'm going to crash a party. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> hey, well, uh, I'm glad you get a chance to meet anyway. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I just cut yeah. that little song. That was beautiful. Mm. I'm trying to step into some light out here in the. I'm at the older old people's home, but it's a bit. Uh, oh, there we go. If I take the hat that's, off, that's that's <laughs> that's important, bros. Where you are, let's come to our story. See, Arlo, you know, a lot. We, we've been talking about this kind of soft eugenics around um, uh, around violence and and particularly martial arts, but then you know, colonial expressions of masculinity and all this kind of stuff and, and how exclusionary it is, you know, and um, uh, as you constantly ready to do violence against outsider others, you know, who ask for it and who aren't worthy of your pity, but then at the same time to maim each other up. And then uh, if you're no longer fit for service, then you're nothing. And this is the way the colony deals with its elders, so Arpad, he right there at the old people's home, you know, 
where they just, yeah. uh, I don't know, throw them in there to die because nobody want to. Yeah, well, Ty- Tyson and Arlo too, like you blokes are most welcome to come and visit me here in Copenhagen because, you know, I come here most mornings to do some kendo cuts on the outdoor dojo with the, the old fella tree. Nice. And the the old people in this this particular home, from what I can see from the outside, seem to have some pretty good entanglement with their communities and their people. And there's no big fence that divides where I live and this place. And it took me actually oh, quite nice. a long time to figure out it was an old people's home. I was like, what is this big castle-like, fortress-like hey, place? It must right. be an admin building or a bureaucracy. It's actually not. It's an old people's home. And... A lot of anyway. One day we'll sit here and we'll just sit for an hour and Sounds and good. you know drink something and watch what goes on. But it's bloody interesting and it's it's good. I mm. you know what this old bloke I chat to sometimes he's you know pushes around his stroller thing and yeah. Anyway, that's another yarn mm. for another day. Uh, uh. <laughs> Gentlemen, <laughs> I'll um I'll go and try and get some rest now. Thank you so much right, for, man. Yeah. for having me. Yep. Good to yarn. Apo. Ciao. Yeah, I'm glad you two got to meet. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he was hanging out with Rune Rasmussen the other day, my Viking mate. Viking mate. I know that you're Viking mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey. Cool. Uh, uh, how you doing there? I'm good. It's funny because... We talked about yarning last week about interruptions, and here I am, totally interrupting. Yeah, yeah. The show, and now that guy's gone, and now I'm here. Ba bam. Yep, that's my idea is to uh, work on this interrupting. Yeah, uh, I'd like to be able to listen to this podcast one day, but I can never listen to an episode all the way through because I'm always just shame <laughs> from how much I'm just stomping all over the other person's tongue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh well there's just some we talked a lot about Conan that I heard ten, ten years ago. Uh so it goes something like Cheers. There are not many like us and not many like us. <laughs> there you go well you know that's the price of, of being unique i guess yeah yeah i just yeah. found out the yupik word is pretty has two meanings in in one sense, it's like a, um, it's like saying, okay, it means, it means you do you, you go do you. Uh, but it, in one sense of the meanings, it means like, okay, you go, you go do that. You have, you good luck with, with what you're doing. Uh, yep. It'll come out in the wash. But in, in another sense, it also, it's a, it's a blessing. It's like, um, you keep doing what you're doing. You get on yeah. with your bad self. Yeah, yeah. It's working. Get on with it. Yeah. Uh, there's a fine line between those two things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, um, 
and that's good. Yep. Uh, so me and uh, our pad were getting into the riddle of steel there. <laughs> you guys were getting into the riddle of steel? Yeah, the old riddle of steel. <laughs> Which is so cool that you come in because you and me in, in the book here. Look, there's that steel boomerang on the cover. But you and me getting into hey! that riddle of steel there too. Nice. Long story, but yeah. So anyway, here we all are contemplating the riddle of steel on the tree of woe. <laughs> yeah, that that riddle does hang on the tree of woe. Yeah, that that big long knife that I was talking with you about last time. Ah, was, yeah. Uh, as long as from the tips of my fingers to my elbow, uh, that my help, my friend helped me get this far. He he cut out the outline and put on the main bevel, but left it pretty thick so that I could temper it and then bring it down to the cutting edge. Uh, and I don't, you know, I'm I'm working with hand tools over here. I've got uh, a vise, uh, some sharpening stones, a couple of diamond plates, a couple of files laying around. And last winter, the spring, my daughter and I got the blade the, the cutting edge of that blade cherry hot well we didn't even get it cherry red hot mm. more like golden straw with a, a fire wood fire and a propane torch and then we quenched it in the snow mm. and uh, so now i have to bring it down manually and i've discovered that a um just a regular stone works better than diamond plates because the mm. diamond plates wearing out and they're, they quit working, but the stone, the more you rub, the stone just keeps exposing itself more and more, and it takes off the metal. But what I'm getting at is that um, it's a long, painful process. Mm. It is it it is on the the tree of woe, and I'm not talking about the knife that I'm making. Yeah. I'm talking about like life. The the yarns, mm -hmm. the yarns are are the interaction between the metal and the the sharpening stone, and both That's come it. away changed. Yeah. <sighs> well, I got the I got the sharpest thing on the planet here that um that uh that volcanic glass you know that obsidian oh yeah cracking that one apparently it's like it's the sharpest thing on you can't sharpen anything as sharp as that is a bit yeah. of that chipped off you know um yep. yeah it's impossible but but it's not gonna hold an edge you're gonna use it and then that's it that's gone you got one shot <laughs> And I don't know, I'm thinking this through when, uh, like I was working through a bit of grief about a murdered family member when I made this thing. I'll show you now. I don't know. I wanted to show you this because, you know, we can't have weapons of mass destruction in our way. You know, you can't have things that can be used over and over. But so I did this spear and I used that obsidian. Now, this is a, a rare weapon. You don't see him much because it's a terrible thing it's a death spear you know 
Yeah, it it's only got one go. You are, you can only throw it once. And you know, if it hits, if it hits who you throw it at, then that's it. They will die, whether it hits them in the leg or anywhere. You know, in the anywhere in the body where it hits, because all the subsidian it'll chip and flake and break off inside them and and just mess them up. They're finished. You know, it's a death spear. Yeah. So it's a very serious uh, weapon with a very serious intent. And I don't know. I've been with Arpad. I've been contemplating, you know, violent intent and how much of that comes from our culture way and then how much of that comes from this sort of settler imperative of being a male uh, ready and fit for service and ready to do violence in service of the colony at any moment. And to constantly be practicing this by beating the shit out of other men <laughs> around you, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. So we've been sort of throwing that around. Mm. I've gone I know you don't want to have any presence online anymore, and you don't want to yeah, do these yeah. things. I've gone in but, the other uh, direction. I'm just I'm calling you. Out. I'm calling you out of retirement for this one. I know you are. I've gone in the other direction from violence or maybe it's just the other side of the coin of violence um you know i've been at this job now for almost a, one year yeah and i'm i'm in deep bro <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, i've gone past the tipping point you're in the university yeah the academy i now. don't know if i'm making the kool-aid or drinking the kool-aid or what i'm hey. lost in the sauce bro but what I've been grappling with is uh, how to how to respond in ways that are neither action nor reaction, but the reconcile. Right. So your your role at on the campus there is like uh, to be like native Google. Or like native Siri. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think before a couple of weeks ago, I, I might have said yes. But a, a couple of weeks ago, we had the annual convention where people from all across the state come together for a big three-day oh AFM, yeah alaska federation of natives i wanted to ask it is you the meeting of the year to go to ah uh, the photos you sent were just like oh made my yeah day. i got to sit yeah. next to old dudes ah uh, old dudes that i didn't even know he looks oh, so happy so good. yeah and so i say that that I, I would have said my role at the uni is to be the native Siri. I love that. Um, before AFN, but when I was down there, there's 12 regional corporations, 12 regions. Yeah, Alaska was divided up into, the natives of Alaska were divided up into 12 geographic regions in 1971 with the passage of 
the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, aka ANCSA, of 1971. It th went through the U.S. Congress. <clears throat> it was the largest peaceful land ownership transfer in recorded human history, period. We, we Alaska Natives, laid claim to more land than comprises Alaska. Oh. Because Alaska was turned into a state in, oh, I should know this. Pop quiz for me. 1956. I think it was in the 50s. Um, and then the ANCSA passed in 71. And we claimed parts of land that were over in Canada. Mm, <laughs> the mm. Congress was like, uh, no. But so anyways, these I digress. These regions were giving out reports on what their priorities were, what they saw their priorities. And that, you know, people were talking about housing and this and that and water and sewer and um, health and wellness and then the person that was giving the report for my home region the northwest arctic um, was talking about the during the creation of ANCSA the elders from our region created what's known today as the Inupate Elite Crusade which is mm -hmm. the list of values that our elders wanted to pass on to future generations values like humor love for children hunter success knowledge of family tree knowledge of language mm. domestic skills uh, there's like 17 of them i don't know what they all are but humor was first it's the only one i can remember the quickest because it's ah. the shortest and it's right right it's the most, most important. <laughs> yeah, it's the most important. And uh, she was talking, and this person I've known since they were a teenager, and now they're the head legal counsel for the Native Corporation. And so, of course, everything she was saying had gone through her own internal uh, legal analysis. It was all very safe. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, our elders wanted to pass on these values because they were worried that we, us future generations, would not know who we were because land ownership mm. was um, being codified. ANCSA locked down the land ownership situation that <clears throat> in the newspapers back in the day was known as the native question. <laughs> uh, uh, oh my God. <laughs> I yeah. know, a trigger warning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so she got me thinking like oh yeah there's there's the old ways which i enjoy talking with you about there's there's the way and there's the, the in-group that that implies mm. you mentioned you guys were talking about the exclusiveness Exclusion. exclusionary yeah. properties of martial arts and stuff yeah. So I'm trying to tie it back into that. But the, the beautiful part for me was I realized I'm living in Fairbanks. I'm not living in my home region. Back in my home region, I know where to go any time of the year for anything. I know the yep. dangers. I know the benefits. I can do it. 
65 below zero with the wind blowing 20 miles an hour. I got it. I died around it. here. I'm, I'm in no man's land for as far as I'm concerned. Like I'm in the city. I'm in America. I'm in America right now. America. America. I don't know where to go. I don't know <laughs> what the dangers are because the snow is completely different. The, I don't know what the ice is like, you know, it takes a long time to learn a place. And I realized that I'm kind of a lone wolf in regards to the values and the identity that the people in my home region wanted to preserve. And that's liberating because then at work, I don't have to be the face of rural Alaska. <laughs> He can just say, I don't know, I'm not from here. Badass self. Yeah, and I can growl at people because I don't have to worry about the growl coming from like as representative of the majority of the state. Right. I can just be like, oh, wait a minute. According to what I learned in my English major and literary criticism about ideological state apparatus and repressive state apparatus. What you're trying to do is actually uh, not very cool, and I'll I'll tell you why, or whatever. Like I can just break it down and interrupt people. Yep, and then and you can so you could be like just academic, and then on the weekend you can just be like a hockey dad, you know, if you feel like it. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be a hockey dad. You could like, and I'm trying really Taylor. hard to not be an academic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull is? <laughs> Lipstick. Lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh. I will point out, since you brought her up, that the largest ever outdoor political rally in Alaskan history was, an, was a rally called Alaskan Women Against Palin. And that was yep. back when she was governor of Alaska. Uh, 14,000 wow. Alaskan women came out and they were like, what the fuck? No. Did they did they stay like that through COVID, though? This is the question. This oh, is this something was... me and Arpad were talking about. Is like uh, We were talking about how um, everybody went a bit too hard on, on, on settler women. You know, during with, COVID? Uh, yeah, you know, with calling out racism and that, and just, oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, this well, was you know, you're white. This was you're this was a decade no before COVID. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that one. But I wonder how many of them uh, are still there, and how many of them went nuts. Because I just I was looking at all the, um, I was just looking at the figures of how many settler women uh, went the other way, like over COVID. They just went all right. So I'm going to be karen or becky no matter what so i'm i'm gonna lean into this <laughs> and i'm gonna go and join the school board and i'm gonna i'm gonna freaking represent mums for liberty and uh you know soccer mums for trump or whatever the hell i'm getting i'm gonna get lean right into it you know i'm gonna like support the proud boys and make them sandwiches i'm gonna be out there on the front lines making it all happen and then they yeah. get out there and, and it's uh it's 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 terrifying. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. So there's heaps of that. And I don't know, we were talking about that too, because um 
yeah that that's real that happened yep yeah that did indeed happen ah poor things i warned everybody i warned everybody i'm like have you ever met a settler woman like just take it down a peg calm down do you, do you know <laughs> like how violent they get <laughs> they're all so meek and mild but and like they look like they can't fight and they can't fight because they're not allowed to but i tell you you push them too hard they'll come out they'll come out they like fight. oh like you're insane and angry they'll just shoot you right in the they'll, face yeah they'll they'll do you dirty you gotta yeah, watch yeah. that so anyway that's where we're at mums for liberty mums for yeah. yeah bulldogs with lipstick everywhere <laughs> all over the shop yeah so uh everyone got radicalized <laughs> anyways that was my big news i'm i don't have to worry about taking on the the, the role of speaking for all brown folk in alaska at work anymore i can just nice up. yeah and, and uh nice to just be able to be arlo yeah it's so nice so nice it's, oh it's it's freed me up it, and you know i'm gonna try to bring more creativity that to that scene and then <clears throat> the other thing that hit me was after i came back i came back on a friday night and then on monday attended a virtual meeting where an elder that i know opened up the two-day meeting um he was the keynote speaker and he was part of what he was talking about was storytelling mm. and he shared this in public meetings so i don't mind sharing it here um he connected storytelling with governance mm. in the old ways a long time ago and that storytellers had to be trained from a very young age and they were licensed by their people you know it was a thing it was a big thing the mm. storytellers um spoke in ways it, he says it was like high language yeah this this language the, the language that you hear most of the time hey how you doing i'm doing fine how about you <clears throat> the, the language of everyday matters is low language high language is um healing compassionate and acknowledges our universal connectedness mm. and i've known that for a few years now mm. but what i didn't connect was that that is related to governance and this guy when he spoke it. he always speaks very clearly and you know, he's a master public order. And so that his little his keynote speech there wrapped up my whole AFN because a lot of other stuff happened at AFN. Nothing big. It was just I wandered around a bunch. There were probably a thousand people there, more than a thousand. Mm. The entire first floor of this huge building that was in was filled with booths with artists selling their wares and organizations trying to you know sell their their organization mm. um 
It's, and Man, people are just we don't have a federation. Wondering. Maybe that's what we need. We need a federation. Well, uh, no, ours the AFN is falling apart. A couple of years ago, one uh, tribal organization withdrew, and then last year, two more withdrew. So it's fracturing. Right. It has fractured. It's coming apart. Wait there. Wait there. So hey, governance storytelling. Yeah. Let's so, not lose it. He tied it together. He tied up all those little micro interactions that I got to see a bunch of old acquaintances with. He tied together storytelling with governance and he demonstrated it by speaking clearly. You know, he had the bright dramatic pause. He, he didn't speak the divisively. Mm. And that's when I, he wrapped up my whole AFN trip. And I realized that, I really need to get better at doing what he did, demonstrating yeah. clear storytelling, because what we do in academia is a part of governance. Right. I mean, it's knowledge production. Yeah. So I have to be very, very careful in what I talk about and how I talk about it. And that's mm. what I'm working on now. Mm. All right. But that doesn't, and yeah, like you were Cautious. joking around, say you pulled me out of retirement <laughs> for a while because I've been scared for a few yeah. months now that yeah, I'll say something divisive or, you know, everything. There's so many landmines out there nowadays. Yep. And I, I was I got intimidated, but uh, if I let that intimidation really get to me, then like, where's the hope for yep. people to come together and like, what does that leave us to talk about the weather? I think I'd like to feel that. I'd like to feel that intimidation. I like um. Like we were talking before, like early part talking about like uh. You know this kind of like uh, this this toxically masculine. You know, if you're living in a colony, this toxically masculine kind of idea where you're constantly throwing your body on the line. You know, in, in always constantly prepared to do violent struggle. You know, um, so there's a kind of you, you start to think of yourself as um, as being disposable. You know, and this gives you almost a superpower because you don't really care what's going to happen to you. So you don't, you're not as bothered by consequences or bound by consequences that might uh, end your freedom or, you know, and this yeah. is in our Aboriginal communities, lots of young fellas, you know, yeah. grow up this way and more and more now than, than ever before, you know, feel this and, um, you know, put themselves through ordeals because there's, Mostly, there's no more initiation, you know. So we put ourselves through ordeals, and these come out, you know, at that interface with the colony and the, on that sort of sh decisive edge of the blade. There, you know, that's where we cut ourselves on that. And yeah, um, yeah. so as a result, I like I don't have like I regard the consequences of wrong speech in the world as. Um, in the same way, it's kind of like, I don't really care if it happens. It's oh. like, I'd almost welcome it. It'd be like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, give me a digital death. The same way as I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'll take okay. digital death. Kill me. Go on. Okay. <laughs> Go on, computer. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, um, let, yeah, me, let me let me lean like into a, that for a little bit. Yeah. Let's let's go there. What happens when uh, I meet you for for this pod? Then where I'm like, oh, I don't want to say shit, and you're like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. I'll I'll say some shit. <laughs> then you get in trouble just for having spoken to me. No, having spoken to the guy that, that said the. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not letting you off the hook there. And you yeah. can't let me off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to grapple with this. I want to, I don't want to stay in that safe place where you don't say anything. Yeah. Like the people on the main stage do at AFN. Like they can't yeah. say shit. Well, they try. They try. And a few people get past the censors. AFN yeah. is a heavily censored thing. It's looked at as, you know, like a Sami parliament or something, but it's not because. Uh if they gave me the microphone and that shit's live broadcasted over Alaskan television, bro. Uh, yeah. It's a big fucking deal. But if they gave me the mic and I started talking about self-led village relocation and how we don't need any outside grants, I would get yanked off that stage. Faster oh, uh, than shit. Deb Halen, that lower 48, indigenous lady that's i don't know what her position is she's famous for uh head of department of interior or something she's really big shot and it's the yeah. first time it's been filled by an indigenous person she was on the stage she gave she showed up and talked i did not move while she was on stage like i didn't make any sharp movements i didn't put my hands in my pockets Ugh, it's freaky dicky shit man um Okay, so you just said freaky dinky. That that's a cancelable offense right there. Ah, you got me. Okay, yes. Well, All right, rip that bandaid off then. You didn't mean that. You mean to say it just rhymed, so out it came. Yeah, that means something else now, bros. It's not just like Freaky Friday stuff. That's uh, all kinds. Dave Chappelle uh -huh. ruined that. Yeah. Yeah. Although he was kind enough to say, "Freaky Dickies need love too." Freaky Dickies need love too. I I guess we it's did. Like, oh, that's really Dickies. compassionate of you there. Bro. <laughs> uh, that, you sent me a meme the other day. You sent me two memes. Dave Chappelle, <laughs> the yellow hey, cake. Yellow Don't cake. That. <laughs> hey, you're the black uh, head of the CIA, and I'm some random black dude. <laughs> you're like you've labeled it here this is arlo this is tyson <laughs> don't drop that shit uh was that i think that was our first yarn yeah yeah anyway uh look we're gonna have to stop being self-indulgent about this and nobody's gonna be interested in our relationship we just this is something that just happened and and we keep doing it but uh, and, and inflicting it on the world uh, by yeah. recording the yarns sometimes yeah but i tell you you know it's um and i love knowing you it's like it, it makes me better and here's the answer i think is that relational stuff because like what what's gonna um what's gonna draw you out is your relationship with me and me being a pulling person who has this inquiry 
has this like curiosity and sense of inquiry and I want to know these things and and um but then what's gonna hold me in check then too the other way well it's 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 you wanting to step back uh so I can't push too hard and there's somewhere in there we just like uh well we're moving together the relationality revolves that's around the hold stories uh, all right stories and governance all right this is and- the thing and, and, and we're pop end culture on this. and, and Conan I movies. Up, I gotta pack up and go and give my kids in a minute. So okay, this will be where it comes. So <laughs> storytelling, governance, Conan movies. You're gonna make all this work now and tie that shit together, bros. Oh boy. Uh, <clears throat> it it's become increasingly clear to me the the damage being inflicted on our young men that you're, you were talking about a minute ago, Mm, mm. going through initiation, all these women that leaned into Karen hood during COVID. It's all just so clear to me now that it's, it's done. It's been, it has been inflicted upon us Mm. in English literature. It's they, it's the ISA and RSA ideological state apparatus and repressive state apparatus. Mm. The repressive state apparatus are the actual things that repress the, the judicial system, the police, the military, the, the ideological state apparatus are the narratives that drive people into thinking they have to choose between Karenhood and Beckyhood, yeah, or for, for the young men that they have to become violent in one form or another to become a man, <sighs> or you know, all of that stuff. And this is not really even saying anything. It's still too safe for me. I'm trying to find where the edgy part is, but all those old Conan movies and even that new one that's super horrible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just so obviously being done to us. Mm. And when we can wake up to that and see it for what it is, it leaves this huge question mark for me of, okay, well, if that's all been inflicted upon me, then where am I? Mm. Who am I? Am I a lone wolf that has been liberated from having to <clears throat> be the, the face of rural Alaska? Or, or I don't know. Mm. Well, I think that's isolating when you have to be a face. Yeah, put that mask on you, but uh, that's why I was liberating. I was like, "Oh my God, yes!" (laughs) (laughs) Now now you have to be a hollow. Yeah, then you gotta lie in it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But before we go, I want to say that you, I really appreciate my relationship and friendship with you too. Ah, same, bros. Yeah, it's like. You're my bra. I the first time, and I keep saying this. The first video I saw of you was like, "Oh, that's my bra." <laughs> in the neighborhood, I'd be hanging out with that dude. I'd be bugging him. 
uh, playing pranks on him. I'd never get any work done. That email. I was like, thanks, bro. Yeah. You reminded me, man, we're out here. We out here. I'm going to have to come and spend, like, it'll have to be, like, at the hottest part of summer. When it's, like, what? I don't know. <laughs> Five degrees over zero. <laughs> uh, I'll come there. Uh, no, I, I thought you were going to say the hardest minute. part of the winter. You got to come in the hardest part of the winter, bro. I do. I got to try, try my test myself there. Yeah. yeah. I'm sucky when it comes to cold, bros. But anyway, look, yes, yes, and yes. I, I just love the things you send me all the time. Just have a great time with you, bros. It's so good to know you. Uh, it's one of the good things in my life. Yeah, you too, bro. All right. (laughs) All right. I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.